Hello and welcome to the Raptor Show for Sportsnet. I'm Nani the Fan. I'm your host, Wim Liu. Uh, joining me for a special podcast live in Montreal is Mike Laviol of L'Express, a uh, French-speaking uh, journalist originally from Lyon. We just had uh, coffee um, nearby. And uh, Mike, I, I appreciate you you know, making the trip out here to Montreal to uh, do this interview with me. Thank you for the invitation. It's great to be here. Mm-hmm. And as I told you, I'm a big fan of the program. So it's a, it's a great pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Um, you know, you were already invited, so you didn't have to say it, but uh, I appreciate you saying that nonetheless. Um, okay, so let's clear one thing actually at the start of it, because I think, so um, most people already know you from, if you've heard the Raptors um, Zoom press conferences, stuff like that, people know that you have covered the Raptors uh, for a few years now, especially since the championship team. Um, but I think most people are under the impression that you are based out of Montreal, that you're from Montreal. You know, for us Anglophones, we just don't know any better. We just kind of assume. So tell us a little bit about your background and sort of like what where your work is right now. That's right. My name sounds a little Quebecois, but actually I'm not from Montreal. I'm not even Canadian. I'm from France. Mm-hmm. As you said, I'm from Lyon. Uh, I've been working as a journalist uh, in France for like 10 years before coming to Canada with my wife. Uh, it's been like for the, the years of the championship. So I was lucky to start uh, to start uh, covering the Raptors, uh, the, the championship year. So, yeah, it's been now four years that I'm covering the Raptors in French for Fall Express. Right. Um, yeah, what's been... Um, so, for, for, I guess I want to ask you a couple of things, really. Um, but let, let's start with sort of your approach towards, like, um, creating stories. Like, what is the audience that you're, you're writing for and what are the type of stories that you're looking to tell? Okay, I'm trying to uh, to get the French-speaking community together because it's like it's not like just uh, Quebec, but it's France. It can be Cameroon. So I'm doing uh, basically for L'Express, I'm doing uh, game recaps, mm-hmm. and then I have a lot of podcasts uh, when I analyze the games, um, interviews yes. with the players in French. That's a uh, a great thing that we have in Toronto, and yeah, the PR is really nice to help us uh, get the player in French. It's not the case in ev- with every team in the in the US. It's harder to get them uh, from from the other teams, and yeah, basically that's what I do. I, I don't do much stories about uh, the background of the players, but we try to talk about this uh, in the in the podcast. Mm-hmm. It's called um, Dino Talk, okay. or Dino's Talk in English, but in French right. we call it Dino Talk. Yeah. Uh, we have um, like a long format uh, for um, like at each quarter of the season. And then during the season, I have uh, like pre-game and sometimes post-game shows. Wow. So you're a busy man. That's a, that's a kind lot of content. busy, yeah. <laughs> you know, I guess I, to take viewers behind the scenes, you know, like, so I see you at the arena a lot of the time. And um, usually when I get up to the 600 level, which, you know, you're familiar with, I'm familiar with. Uh, that's where they put the, the the journalists who aren't lucky enough to be in the 100s, let's just say. <laughs> but the, the long-time journalists, you know, we're more rookies. Um, but I always see you up there, and then, you know, I always do my show afterwards, and I, I look down, and you're usually still there. And so I, I, I see the work, up, uh, you know, ethic and stuff like that. So what, what I actually wanted to know a couple of things. So um, 
the the what's the reception of basketball like outside of um, let's just say Toronto or even just like what we generally assume uh, is like the basketball consuming audience in the states, mostly English speaking. Obviously, all the, the thirty teams are in English speaking cities. Uh, what's the reception of basketball like, let's say in France, let's say here in Quebec, yeah, you know, overseas and other French speaking countries? What's that like? Uh, there's a huge fan base of the Raptors in France. Uh, what you need to know is that in France, the games are very late at night mm -hmm. and people are watching. How late are we talking about? Like two o'clock? Uh, it's like from one to when it's uh, West Coast games. It's like 4.30 sometimes. Okay, yeah. When it's 10.30 here, yeah. it's like 4.30 in France. Right. So, yeah, there's a huge fan base, and they really like the team. They're ready to wake up at night, to watch the games, to sacrifice their sleep for the, the next day. So, yeah, I'm not really that much familiar with the Quebec fan base. Right, right, right. To be honest, because uh, as I'm French... I have more people following me from France. I'm starting to get some people from Cameroon, uh, but yeah, most of it is from France, where I'm from. Right. Do you know like what the origin of the Raptors' like popularity in France is? Mm, that's a good question. I don't even think we've had that many French players, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, there's the Nando De Colo. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I don't think it's from Nando De Colo. Um, <laughs> I think there are... Mm, they are the old ones who were following since Vince Carter. Okay, yeah. And they are people who are following the team since uh, Demar mm -hmm. and Kyle. Right. But I, I, I think, yeah, I know actually, I know. I know why they're for the Raptors. Because, you know, French... We are we are the revolution. Something we don't like to follow, uh, like the main team. Yeah. And okay. I think most people like the fact that that's the Canada team is for another country. Right. Right. So they kind of like that underdog mentality and all those things. I think a lot of fans told me that. Yeah. That's funny. Well, I was gonna say too. Um, we were we just had coffee, as I said, and um, you were telling me that one of the first teams that you covered or you went to. Did involve Vince Carter. Yeah, that's. I don't know if that also links back to the Raptors fandom or not. I don't know if that's positive or negative for, uh, let's just say, Canadian French relations based on what happened on that play. But, you know, you go ahead. You, you tell this to me. Yeah, that's how I got into basketball, actually. I wasn't watching basketball at all since 2000. Yeah. And then it was the Olympics in Sydney. Yes. And when it's the Olympics, you watch all the sports. Of course. You just try to see. And you have the French team, so you follow the French team, you cheer for the French team. And then I think everybody remembers, remembers uh, Vince Carter dunking over Fred Weiss. And that was something crazy for me. And that's how I got into basketball. But the fun thing is that I didn't start to follow the Raptors after that. Right, right. I could have followed the Raptors, actually, because I saw Vince Carter. I could yeah. have said, yeah, what team is he playing for? And it could have been the Raptors. But I've started following the Raptors, actually, way later, in like 2017, 2018, right. when I knew that I was coming to Canada mm. and that I could get credential with the French uh, website. So the year before, I started to get really into the Raptors to be more familiar with the right with the team. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the I think you know going back to what you said earlier, the the, the amount of like access that the Raptors organization specifically leaves 
uh, for the French-speaking uh, media is kind of very admirable. Like I have, like I, like you, I've seen a lot of the other interviews and press conferences, and um, obviously when you're in the states, like you know, it's really just in English. I don't even know many like Spanish interviews. I guess that's technically the second language, but you know, I haven't seen a lot of Spanish NBA interviews. Um, but I know here in Canada, obviously, you know, it's it's a bilingual country, and so. Um, you know, they, they leave a lot of space for the French reporters to to ask questions. Now, I know for me personally, I don't speak French like at all. So I, I just kind of shut off the interview, <laughs> you know, but at the same time, look, I actually really admire it because it's usually like five, you know, three, four minutes at the end of the interview where they, they turn it over to a lot of the reporters. So and I know also, too, that the Raptors have consistently had a lot of francophones on the team. Right. We had, you know, Pascal since obviously coming in as a rookie in 2016. You have Serge, um, you know, you're talking about Bismarck Biombo, you have Chris Boucher, now you have Christian Coloco as well. Ken Birch is from Montreal, but uh, apparently does not speak French, so that's too bad. But yeah, what's what's been your experience like talking to these guys? What are you asking them? Who do you like talking to? And just your general experience, like covering um, basketball in French. That, that's just amazing, actually, because... Uh, Covering the NBA was a dream for me, mm -hmm. but when you know that you're going to cover the NBA, you think you need to speak English. Yeah. And being able to interview the players in French is like just just amazing. And uh, what I asked them, actually, I asked pretty much the same question as in English. Okay. Sometimes we have to say, yeah, sorry, I asked the same question. You need to give us the answer in French. But sometimes it's great because you see that uh, being more familiar with friend, French they add more to their answer in English. Yeah. Sometimes not the case. Sometimes they shorten the thing because they already said a lot in English. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's really interesting to see that they can give you more information in French because maybe they have the vocabulary to say it. Or... So what player do I like? Actually, I like them all. Uh, Pascal improved a lot in interviews. I think you, you saw it in yeah. English too. Yeah. He's been, he's been great. Chris has improved too. He's been more open, especially since he started his podcast. No, I think he's more mm -hmm. at his with the speaking, with the media. Uh, Coloco has been a great surprise for his first interview. I only had the, uh, the, the occasion to talk to him once, but it was great. And from other teams, oh, he's not in the team anymore. It's uh, Bismarck Biombo has been my one of my, uh, my favorite players to interview. But after that, we got the... Um, the French players are always open to speak French to, to the media. Gobert, uh, Batum, um, I had Kylian Ace this season. It was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, that, that is the thing too, is like, I know for Canada, we like to, we have the second most NBA players uh, outside of like the U.S. citizenship, Canada, but uh, in terms of the actual success of the program, it hasn't translated just yet. In terms of the most successful program in basketball outside of... Um, you know, the United States, who is by far number one, obviously, but it's either France or, or Spain, right? Mm -hmm. There's really only two contenders for who's the second best program. Um, and yeah, so you do have a lot of options to speak to people. Um, so as you mentioned, you, you mostly ask them the same thing, right? Or like, but are, are there stories that you pursue where you want to bring some sort of um, the, the, the French speaking perspective or even just stories that would uh, interest people more in France? Or let's say, for example, you, you, you're picking up some fans in Cameroon now, obviously, because Raptors have two of the three Cameroonian players in the NBA. Um, are, are there stories that you'd like to pursue on that end or something that you see that 
Um, obviously, the English-speaking media, we're probably not going to think of these things, let alone try to even execute these sort of stories. Uh, obviously, sometimes you have uh, some news that happened in France or in Cameroon, so we're going to ask about this. Yes. I remember the, the first year, with um, my first year, uh, I had a colleague from uh, Shock FM, who's called Patrick, mm -hmm. and he's from Burundi. So he was really aware of what's happening in Africa, and he was asking Pascal a lot about uh, what was going on. I remember during the, I don't know if it was the finals or the playoffs, um, he knew that um, he received a letter from the Prime Minister of Cameroon, something like this. Oh. So he asked him about that, and Pascal was very, very happy to talk about this. But most of the time, yeah, it's just about basketball and mm -hmm. talk about the game. That's the thing with the press conferences. We don't have so much time to talk about something else, especially since we're on Zoom. Yeah, that, that, that was different when we got in the locker room because, yeah, we could ask more questions. So, right. yeah, but right now we have one or two questions. So we focus on the game and I, I wish I could do more. That's you're, you're right. No, I think it's just most of what we want to do is like limited by the availability of the player and also what the, the PR staff kind of allows us to do. Now, I think the PR staff has been fairly helpful, um, but at the same time, like I think as a journalist, we always want more, more access, more time, um, more interviews on different topics, even aside from basketball, right? Because I think that like it's very interesting to hear like about the game and what they saw and like, wow, you hit a big shot, take me through the play, you know, but at the same time, it's, you also want to get to know them personally. And I think that, um, yeah, that honestly, like for you guys, like I think you guys have such a unique way to sort of um, open them up because of the fact that a lot of the times this is their first language. So they can obviously be more fluent and, and be more expressive in it. But also that uh, I think probably for them, like, it'd be very excited to be interviewed you know, like that, like for me, I mean, my first English now is, the first language now is English, but if somebody wanted to interview me in, in Mandarin or in Chinese, I, I'd, I'd be thrilled um, uh, to even get that opportunity. So, well, let, let's talk about the team. And uh, since you sort of come on, as you mentioned, championship season, right? First year covering that. Um, yeah, I mean, did you expect, I guess you, you, you follow the NBA long enough to know that you don't win the championship every year, but... What were some of your experiences in that first season and how was it uh, covering as, as a member of the media? That was just, that just was just crazy actually, but I, I think the first year, uh, it was hard for me to feel like I was, I was part of it actually. I can, I, I kind of feel, felt like, uh, I don't know, an outsider or something like this, you know, cause mm -hmm. you're new there, you don't know, a lot of things, so I was kind of shy in the locker room, and I didn't ask questions in English, for example. Right. So I, I'm gonna try to do more right now, but yeah, it took me sometimes to like feel at ease with uh, with everything. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was it was great being able to to see the players, being in that championship run. So yeah, it's only good memories. The, the, my only regret is that they didn't didn't win the championship at home because I. Couldn't oh, go yes. to to Oakland. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I, I think back to that game five where you mentioned where I think they had the chance at the very because Kawhi went for like a personal run and, and kind of made a comeback and then they had the last play where I think if Kyle Lowry hit the shot, the series would have been over. There's an alternate world where Kyle like Draymond doesn't make a great play yeah. and 
close out to the corner and Kyle Lowry hits a walk off NBA championship winning three pointer. I feel like that would have been crazy because also in game five, because of the, the amount of crowds and the people, I don't think the players would have been able to like leave the arena until like five, six AM until everyone went home. Cause there was just so much like just mobs of people. So no, I, but I, I think I really relate to your experience there because I think for a lot of people who are covering the team, um, you know, you, you've been a longtime journalist, but it, it is still like a, a bit like nerve wracking. It's very common to hear about people being very shy, not knowing sort of what the procedures are. A lot of the people in the reporting crew are kind of like in groups already. They know each other. So they, they feel much more comfortable. And so, but um, yeah, I want to ask you actually as well, is, is there a French speaking clique, like a group that you guys always sit together and hang out? Because I, I see you a lot with Raphael. Yeah, but the thing is, I'm the only one who's going to each and every game. Yeah. The other ones have a lot to do outside of basketball, especially Raphael Gilmet from Radio Canada is, is always covering all sports, so right. he's there for the big events. And then you have uh, Shock FM. They are there sometimes, but it's, it's the same. That it's, not their, it's not really their job. They're just volunteers, so they can come to each and every game. So... Yeah, for the first year, we were kind of a clique because there was me and Patrick Bezindavi. He yes. was working for Shock FM. Now he's in Radio Canada doing something else. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we were a group together with someone else from the, an employee from the 905 with a, a friend of us who was there. So by the end of the day, it was always the three of us. But it's not a big clique of, of French uh, journalists. <laughs> it's like that we're not a gang or something like this. <laughs> uh. Well, I mean, that's the thing. On, on the English-speaking side of it, there's, I would say there's probably, like, two big ones right now that are forming. Um, not that, like, this is something very serious. It's not. It's just people are more friendly. I think the age groups are a little closer in terms of the, the groupings. But um, I just know that, like, from a... I, I think when you're in the sort of, like, the arena, it's so big. It can kind of be isolating at times. Um, you are a little bit nervous because, obviously, you are, you, you're in front of the camera or you're speaking to very famous people, so you don't want to mess up. And then act out of turn and there's just a lot of like uh procedures that usually i think for for younger journalists like when they first cover it they have to sort of go through a period where they observe and see what how everything is and then you know how to move you know and how to operate so um how was the uh, how, how was covering the team during the pandemic and things like that because very quickly obviously you, you got the season afterwards where for half the season they're in toronto they're playing really well they're the number one seed uh in the east and uh you know things are going amazing But then immediately you go into this uh, worldwide, you know, disaster. And then, of course, when they resume playing, they're no longer here. And then after that, they're in Tampa for the whole year. So how was that experience like covering the team? It was, uh, there's some pros and cons. Uh, it was hard because, yeah, no access to the locker room, yeah. no access to the arena because they were not playing in Toronto mm -hmm. and then the bubble and everything. So yeah, it was kind of hard and and actually we only had access to the Raptors player then. But right. the pro is, for example, uh, we had more availabilities with Serge Ibaka, for example, mm -hmm. because I think people know that it takes a long oh, no, time no. after the games. Hold on, hold on. Let, let's, <laughs> let's detail this uh, about Serge because it's actually one of my favorites because Serge has... Serge is so interesting, right? He has all these yeah. little quirks and um, strange ways that he moves. And uh, for a lot of people, they don't know this, but um, so Serge is a very good interview, yeah. very insightful, uh, you know, very accommodating, speaks four or five languages, 
So, you know, could get his thoughts. Uh, but seriously, though, um, it takes a very long time for him to get ready. If you are waiting for him, like, in person, like, back in the classic days where you would just go to the locker room and there's, like, a group of reporters waiting around with cameras and microphones, Serge would always be the guy that a lot of people would feel annoyed with interviewing because he would – how long do you think? 30 minutes, 40 minutes after a game ends? He's finally ready? Oh, maybe more. <laughs> I think you have to wait until 11.30 or midnight if you want to catch him. I, and he's just there. He's just like, you can see him. In the like, back. In the back, yeah. He's, yeah. He's, he's getting massages. He's getting. He's taking a cold tub. He's showering. He's moisturizing. He's doing skin routine. You know, like, I think he posts a lot of this stuff on the Instagram. Yes. I think he seriously does all that because it literally takes him an hour a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. And the, the only time I could have him, I don't know if you remember... I think you remember, because it was Jeremy Lin uh, press conference, the first one. Yeah, yeah. It lasted so long, yes, you remember? Yes, yes, That time, I was able to get uh, Serge Ibaka right after Jeremy oh, Lin's interview. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really So funny. it was like, yeah, 40 minutes. Yeah. I don't know how, how long it lasts, but it was so long. And then Serge was there, and I asked the PR at that time. I said, yeah, can I ask him questions? He said, oh, go ask him, we'll see. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, he was there, he was almost done with his routine and yeah i could have him that the, the only two times it was that time and the only the, the other one it was um a game before uh, all-star break okay so i think he wanted to go to vacation so oh he got ready quickly he got yeah, ready quickly yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah the, <laughs> the two times i was able to get him i think it was those one right but with the pandemic uh we have the chance to get him uh on zoom and I think he was uh, he was going to Zoom before uh, before doing his routine. So the PR I think asked him, "Can you come?" And then because I remember he was wearing the the, 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 the game gears. Right, right, right. <laughs> so right. yeah, that was one of the pros because yeah, yeah. we were able to to have uh, Serge Ibaka way more. But yeah, it wasn't easy. I think it's the same for you because you cannot have a lot of because what people need to know is that we get a lot of. Uh, insights outside of the press conferences and yes. when you go to the players you can talk to them so so it's uh yeah yeah well i that, I'm, I'm i'm happy you mentioned it because obviously there's like you have to find the silver lining and things like this right the team's not here you're stuck inside all day but when they when they introduced the idea of the zoom press conference like it really did open up i think a lot of opportunities for um younger journalists because i think if you go back and listen to a lot of the the, the scrums and the interviews from like let's say 2018 and before, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the usual setting, as if we're describing it, is after the game, all the reporters like rush into the locker room, form a little circle, and then the players, I mean, it's to be honest, for me, it's a little awkward. They're just like, they're changing, they're walking it out. It's like, it's, it, it, you know, they're talking, all this other stuff. it's like, it feels weird to be in their personal space, right? Um, but that's the routine. You stand there and then you have the cameras ready and then the, the PR staff says, okay, okay, um, you know, Kyle Lowry is ready to speak. Comes over to the middle, or you go around to his locker, and then everyone points at him. And then there's no regular pattern to the way it's sort of spoken in terms of the questions. It's just like the, the veteran reporters jump in because they've known them a long time. They also know that, like, hey, I've been here for a long I, I've been doing this job a long time. They conduct, like, 90% of the interview, right? And they ask a lot of questions. 
Um, not to say you can't jump in and ask a question, but you have to like actively. It's a fight. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. a fight. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like getting to the front of the show at a concert. You know, you have yeah. to like swim through people, and yeah, yeah, and it's 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 a little annoying. But with Zoom, it's just like you are. There's the the press conference, and then you put up your hand. Mm-hmm. You just raise your hand, and um, sometimes you run out of time, and PR sort of like cuts you off or whatever. Uh, or just there's no time, but for the most part, you have an opportunity to put up your hand and, and, and speak. And I think that opened up the opportunity for a lot of reporters who, A, weren't able to get credentials to come into the game in the first place, or B, just be able to ask more questions, uh, because when you're putting up your hand, the standard is you have one or two questions. One question usually, second question, follow up to the first question. Um, if there's nobody speaking, maybe you give you take some more time, but at the same time, like you have this opportunity. And I think that that's probably where for you guys in the French-speaking media. I know that's unfortunate because they always leave you guys to the end. They do the English portion first and the French portion, but I think it it opened up a lot more opportunities for people who are covering the team, not from the most like prominent Canadian outlets, to be able to still get access and get questions and get insights out of the players. Yeah, it opened up some opportunities even for people who weren't in Toronto. Right, For right, example, yeah. the Japanese uh, media. Right. And I think there's a Greek... Uh, Christos. Christos, yeah. Yeah, I need, I need to. That, that I might have to interview Christos as well in this, in just to just to ask him, you know, yeah. why are you so interested in the Raptors? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. But the thing is, for us uh, who who used to be at the arena, is that after the English question, when we were in a locker room, we could ask like five, ten questions if we wanted. Mm. So that's kind of less. Right. That's true. Zoom is only two. So sometimes I hope that there are some other French speaking that, that are going to come. Mm-hmm. But when I'm just me, I know that I'm going to ask two, maybe three, yeah. but not, not more. And the thing is, if I, I can come back on what I said about asking questions about the game, is um, when you only have two questions on Zoom, you don't feel comfortable asking questions from something completely different. Yes. Yeah. I don't feel comfortable asking questions about... Uh, yeah, maybe we ask soccer questions sometimes sure, or yeah, things yeah, like yeah. this. But if you want, I don't know, a work on a story about, uh, I don't know, uh, the past of the player, mm-hmm. I don't feel comfortable asking him at that time, yeah. oh, yeah, what were you doing in that year when you were back in Cameroon? I think that's kind of awkward for me. Right. So, yeah, it was easier when we were in the locker room asking questions just apart from the, the English-speaking journalists because I think you remember that everybody, when it's done, you leave... And then you la- you leave the the French speaking people alone with the players. So mm-hmm. right. So that that's the thing. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we, luckily right now we we have three uh, francophones on the team once again. Um, two of them are from Cameroon. Um, I think that uh, it, it was funny because originally when Christian was drafted, everyone was like, "Wow, do you know Pascal?" As if everyone in, in from from Cameroon should know each other, right? But um, but I, I think. Are there stories there that you want to tell maybe for a Cameroonian audience about sort of the two of them here and their experience with the Raptors? So just what you have planned maybe for next season? So far, I haven't think about it, but yeah, there's something to, uh, there's something to explore between uh, them uh, growing in the same city, mm-hmm. not at the same time, but yes. uh, yeah. yeah, there's something to explore. I will see uh, if I can have uh, Coloco uh, maybe a little more. Mm-hmm. But the thing is for me, uh, 
I rarely have the player for myself. Right, right. It's only after the games, press conferences. But we'll see for next season if we... I don't think we go back to the locker room because the player doesn't want, don't want. I don't even think the reporters want it, to be honest. The reporters Sometimes, don't want it. But, but they need to find something else, I think, for... Yes. For us to be able to to see them after the game, right? I don't know. Maybe like in uh, soccer, there is the zone. Yeah, yeah, that's right. When the player get out of the game, you have a zone, and before they go to the locker room, they have to stop in the zone and they can speak to the media. Right. I don't right. know if you get inspired by that, but sure. I think the league needs to do something because we need to have that proximity to the players. Right. Otherwise, the storytelling, I think, yeah. is going to be heard, and I think um, you, I think. It even maybe even hurts like the player media relationship, right? Because then it's easy to sort of assume that I don't know this guy. His his job is just to say bad things about me, which I don't even think you do. But uh, but like you know, you you hear these sort of complaints from the players a lot, and I think that like the more familiarity you have with people on a face to face basis, it's probably better. I mean, like they have the so they do have the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Which I guess they could theoretically use the tunnel yeah. for for that, but I think for a lot of players, they after the game, they rush in. People are preventing you. From, you know, like they have the security guards are like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Utah's coming through. You cannot <laughs> you cannot walk up. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll ask them about Raman another time. But like, you know, they they go into the locker room, they change, and then some of them maybe two three will go to the press conference, but everyone else will kind of just like exit through the back door, and so there really is like very few opportunities as you mentioned, but. Uh, Hopefully that does improve. What about what about talking to Chris? Talking to Chris Boucher. It seems like he's like become more and more open to sort of speaking to media. And obviously he has his own podcast now. He has more financial security with the contract and everything like that. Um, what's been your experience covering Chris? I feel there's a really great improvement is in interviews since uh, he started his podcast. I feel like he's more comfortable speaking to the to the medias. I don't know. It's like he opened himself in the in the podcast, mm-hmm. and now he's more. I don't know. He's more willing to to talk about about himself. I think I would say that. Yeah. Um, I have to ask you too because I think I don't know if you messaged me or I messaged you, but one of these interviews, my name came up in the French speaking portion of the press conference, and I don't know if I, I think I, maybe I asked you to translate or something or help me out or something. But do, do you remember this? Uh, yeah, but as actually, I think it was like a question about uh, players and media relationships. Yeah, something like this. But it wasn't specifically about you, actually. Oh, it was okay. just an example. But yeah, um, I don't remember exactly what we were talking about. But it was not about uh, what you had with him oh, or yeah, anything yeah. else. No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, because somebody somebody messaged me and was like, "Oh my God, they were talking about you." But now I listened to everyone. I was like, "Now I wish I paid attention in French class in school." Um, unfortunately, I think I think I got like a 56 or something in French in grade nine, and then I, I stopped studying it. <laughs> I said, "I already know two languages. That's enough for me. I can claim to be bilingual." Um, but yeah, no, that was that was really funny to, to hear about it occasionally. I, I mean, I like. Honestly, I think Chris's story is like so unique. Like, there's some few players that uh, have that kind of journey. I think that's probably the case for a lot of these international players. Like, I think you have like a standard sort of like understanding of what it's like to sort of make it in Canada or, or in the states. 
but I think for the type of players that you kind of deal with, a lot of the francophones, like they have a very unique path to the to the league. And um, I want to ask you too, because so there's a lot of players that come out of France, right? So what's the what would the professional path be for a, a, a child in France who wants to eventually become a pro athlete, maybe play pro basketball? What's the sort of opportunity in the path like there? Okay, so in France, uh, you start to play for a club. Like, uh, it's not an um, amateur league like here, um, like rec center or things like this. Yeah. That's the competition are happening here. Yeah. In France, you have clubs, you have organized leagues, right. like amateur leagues. So when you're a kid, you're starting like, started there, you, you, you learn basketball, mm-hmm. and then you have the professional clubs who have their academies, right. or you have the National Academy of Basketball, uh, it's called uh, LINSEP. Yeah. And that's where all the um, the best players uh, start, like Tony Parker, Nicola Batum. They all all have been to um, to Lincep. Mm-hmm. Some of them uh, started in the the clubs. I think Rudy Gobert started in a club. He did he didn't go to to Lincep. but that's the path you you starting to get uh, seen in the in the leagues mm-hmm. in the amateur leagues. Or when you're young, and then you go either to a big club, Pro A. It's not called Pro A anymore now, but I'm kind of old. <laughs> it's like Jeep Elite. It's changing the sponsorship, changing every year. So okay. I don't think it's a Jeep Elite anymore. But anyway, yeah. and um, and then you go to uh, Linsep or to the academy in the clubs, and that's where you get uh, you get to be watched, even if the the, the, the league in France is not doing a good job of promoting basketball. So it's not even on national TV. It's mm-hmm. like uh, on other. It's not, it's not. It hasn't been easy over the last years for the, the promotion of basketball in France. But still, you are able to to get uh, to get highlights, and you you are you 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 are watched from from the scouts and everything. Like uh, when, Bam, when Banyama, for example, yes, yeah. is the next uh, big thing. <laughs> it's supposed to be the next big thing. There are teams that are gonna, that are gonna tank for him this yeah, year. Yeah. So yeah, right now he's playing in the first division. He was playing with uh, Lasvel. Yeah. It's the team from where I'm from, from Lyon. Oh, from Lyon, okay. It's, uh, Tony Parker is the president of that team, right. actually. Right. So, yeah, he brought a lot of former NBA players. There was the Antetokounmpo brother there. Mm-hmm, right. And he brought a lot of French international players who played for the national team. And um, so that's how you, you get to the NBA. Some French play. there's two ways, actually. Because some, some French player goes to the NCAA now, too. Okay. You yeah. have a bunch of French players playing in, a, in, a, in, a, in the, the NCAA. And there's a new way to go to the NBA right now is New Zealand. There was uh, right, Besson. Yeah. He was there mm-hmm. with another French guy. I don't remember his name. They were both drafted this year. So okay. they play in New Zealand. So, yeah, it's kind of... Um, it's kind of good. The academy is good in France. You learn the basis of the game and right, everything. Right. So, uh, yeah, that's why there are a lot... Of, French player in the NBA because they they have good good level. Well, I mean, I think that's something where I think for a lot of people, I think Mark Cuban was one of the people who, who, who popularizes or at least spoke most vocally about it in a prominent way. But uh, a lot of people sort of say that the European style of development, um, there's something um, 
I guess they, they, they highlight more of the movement aspect of the basketball. They, they highlight more of the passing. They have bigs who have more completed skill sets. I think that's the n- number one thing was like for a long time, the European bigs that came over played with a more uh, varied game than a lot of like the, the Americans here who were more specialized in sort of doing. Now, of course, America had like very talented bigs as well. Other other countries had very talented bigs, but it felt like a consistent theme where like European players coming over had good skill sets in terms of all knew how to shoot, all knew how to pass well, played team basketball. Um, you know, and and I don't know. Does that have to do with like the 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 style of the development, right? As you mentioned, there's the academies and things like that. Is that sort of where that comes from in your opinion? I think it's that the development, the academy, and uh, the FIBA rules too. Okay. Because they cannot play only on their physical attributes. Right. Because you know, with the rules in FIBA, you cannot uh, you can stay in the paint. Yep. It's more compact. It's yeah, like smaller court, right? A smaller court, uh, less spacing. So it's more about tactics and, and fundamentals, actually. That's why players, they, they cannot just be great athletes right. and dominate in, in, in Europe. Mm-hmm. They need to have some, some other attributes like shooting, like you say, like uh, basketball IQ, yep. uh, being able to execute, some things like this. So I think that's why they come more prepared. And you can see with Luka Doncic, oh, he yeah. even said that it was easier to score uh, in NBA than in the EuroLeague. Yeah, and, and I don't, I don't think what he was trying to say was like the quality of like talent or anything like that. Yeah, it's lower here, but the rule changes and also just like the the way the game is played here is very very different. Mm-hmm. It's sort of more geared towards that sort of individualistic kind of. Because if you watch a lot of like Eurobasket or anything like that, um, it, it's it's a team game. Like they're running. There's there's less fast breaks mm-hmm. by by far. Um, there's much more half-court offense. And because of the rules, as you mentioned, like you have to execute like play after play after play. Like It's a very methodical kind of style of play. Um, and and it's, it's interesting, too, because I think you see a lot of French players coming out. Like They have like a, lo- a, a very well-prepared set of skills. Um, so that's also very interesting, too. Um, I just I like watching the style of play and, and things like that. Well, I mean... Um, in terms of uh, yeah, what your plans for next season, uh, things like that. I was going to ask you this of just in terms of like what you're expecting to sort of see from the team in the upcoming year, um, you know. And after that, we'll probably talk more about media itself because we on this program love to sort of talk to journalists about sort of their experiences as covering the team, give a sense of sort of like that background. But just finally, your expectations coming into the year. I mean, the Raptors, what they, their Vegas had them at 44 and a half wins. I think we probably both feel they can get to that number. Um, but uh, I wanted to hear your thoughts on your feelings about the team. Yeah, I think the the, the thing is the, the team can only improve because there are a lot of young players. And for me, if you, if you look at what they did at the end of last season, I think they're going to go on the continuity and, and they can only do better. I think I've... But the thing is, we're going to see how the Eastern Conference is uh, is going. We don't know still about uh, how the Nets will look like <laughs> and things like this. But for me, I have I have big expectation for the team next year to be like a top four Eastern Conference team. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think yeah, I think that's sort of been what most people expect right now. Um, we'll see. I mean. The East is getting better to me, I think, as well. I think that the depth of the conference is getting better. 
Like, for example, I don't think the Knicks would be as bad as they were last year. Mm-hmm. I think Atlanta made some upgrades as well. Um, but, and of course, I think Cleveland had, was having a really good year. They had the injuries to their most important defensive player in, in Jared Allen. Um, so, you know, we'll see. But the, the, the East will be deep. Like, there will be fair, a fair bit of competition. But I, I, I agree with you. I expect the Raptors to be, you know, contending for the top four. Um yeah, okay, so let's talk about the media side of this. So, um, for people who aren't familiar, can you give us a sense of, like, uh, the outlet that you're writing for and sort of just, like, if, you, if you're okay with it, like, just talk about sort of your experiences in sort of um, sports journalism as, as a whole. Um, the outlet I'm working for? So, uh, L'Express is, like, a general, general newspaper. Uh, they went from... Uh, bi-weekly producing the newspaper to online only mm-hmm. so it's covering like the the francophone things in toronto actually it's oh everything that happens in french the french community french-speaking community mm. so is there a big french-speaking community in toronto i feel like i i feel like i've, I've lived in toronto since i was like in 2000 but at the same time, I don't. I, I feel like very much Toronto is like an anglophone city. But I think I may be ignorant on this. The sense. thing with the French community is like it's not concentrated in one place. Mm-hmm. You have French-speaking people almost everywhere in the city. Right. So that's a community still because yes. there are some people from Quebec, there are some people from France, there are African people. Not that much actually. I didn't meet a lot of uh, francophone African countries right. people from african i feel like that happens more in montreal where yeah, it's, it's more, more of a natural montreal. like yeah. landing point where it's like exactly I think we have a lot more nigerians in toronto mm-hmm. a lot more Guineans, you know english speaking yeah like uh, parts of africa yeah yeah for sure so yeah the, um the thing unfortunately is like l'express is not very focused on sports so i'm not doing much actually for l'express mm. you would you won't find a lot of stories. It's like most of the time it's like post games recap on the express. Right. And then the rest of what I do is like on YouTube and on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Most of the things that I do because I'm working with um, uh, the Twitter pages of uh, Raptors France right. and Raptors Belgium. So uh-huh. no, there's two Raptors France and one Raptors Belgium. So we try to, to gather the community together. Mm-hmm. That's really nice, honestly. It's, it's nice hearing about, like, because Masai talks about it a lot, right? I remember he, he gave this one of many Masai speeches, really, but uh, he gave this one speech that was very memorable where he's like, eventually players are going to realize that Toronto is his launching pad to the rest of the world. And I think that, um, you know, what he means is sort of just like, it is different from America, but that's on purpose. And, you know, this is an international city and you can be different here and be welcome for it. I think that... Um, you know, if you go to the, the practice facility, for example, they hang the flags of the different people, the, the, the backgrounds of the players that they're from, which is awesome to see. So they embrace the international element. So it's good to hear that there is a there is an international following. Now, I, th- I think obviously the Raptors, like, they are popular outside of um, Canada, the United States, but probably not as popular as like the Warriors or the Lakers or I don't know. What, what, who else is popular outside of uh, Plus, what are the most popular teams in France right now? You know, the thing is, in France, uh, and most of the time outside of the US or Canada, people are following players. Players, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So you have a lot of stand for LeBron. Mm-hmm. Um, Giannis, probably. Giannis. Steph. Not that much Giannis, actually. 
But yes, Steph, the Warriors, the Warriors. Yes. Damnation is the Damnation FR is the biggest uh, biggest Twitter French account. Yes. Well, you always see the um, you always see the Warriors involved in these sort of like um, cross cultural kind of promotions. Like uh, I just saw like what Usman Dembele for for Barcelona scored, and then he did the, mm, the yeah. sleep sleep cel- or night night celebration oh. with Steph. You know, I remember watching Steph going to. Uh, to to Paris, and I think him and Neymar did like some sort of promotional shoot together or something. So you know there is that kind of connection with. But I think the Raptors do have an advantage in that sense where they embrace the international community. They try to play up the international element of Toronto, which there is definitely a lot of thanks to the immigration. But um, you know I think in terms of finding the audience for you, like how did you set off to doing this, and was sort of like your has the way your career developed and moved in terms of the coverage and things like that has that been according to the expectations that you had coming into it uh, and and sort of what are you sort of seeing going from here so far it's kind of uh let's say disappointing for me because i think there's a very big uh big uh audience to reach mm-hmm. and so far i haven't been able to to reach it mm-hmm. for me it's mainly in france and I know that people are interested in basketball in in Canada, in Quebec, mm-hmm. but it has been hard for me to reach them. Mm-hmm. So I, I made some appearance on Radio Canada, but I think Radio Canada Toronto is different from Radio Canada uh, Montreal. It's not the same programs. Mm. So I try to reach the French-speaking community in Toronto, but I don't feel that much um, energy or interest mm. and my, my one of my big target because there's a big market there it's is from africa mm-hmm. but right now uh i know some people i have some cameroonian friends that i met thanks to the raptors mm-hmm. because of the raptors but so far i think still uh i can get more audience right um well, I mean, the, I think the, the one thing that we were talking about um, is, again, for me, like, I'm, I'm Anglophone, so I, I only, like, think about it in terms of, like, oh, you guys all speak French, same people, you know, you kind of, like, get along. I mean, I, I'm conscious that there are differences and significant ones, but for the most part, I kind of just assume that you guys will kind of, you know, be able to sort of have that sort of cultural exchange and things will be relatively easy or simple. But as you were mentioning, like even just like the, the Montreal market or let's say that the Quebec market as a whole, it's a little hard to get into just because of the fact that you're from France. And like, you know, there's the accent differences, things like that, where it's just like, okay, well, you know, it's it's more particular than I guess us and Anglophones, like we, we, we care to think about sometimes. Yeah, and what I think, yeah, there's a thing that I think too is that uh, people who speaks speak French in Quebec, they also understand English. Mm. So I think they follow the English media. They don't need to have right. specifically the French coverage. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. And they have, uh, they have RDS too, is yes. the TSN equivalent of... Yep. Uh, and I think they cover the Raptors too in Quebecois. So mm-hmm. I think they don't need they don't need to go further on the, on the Raptors coverage because the English media do an amazing job. You have a lot of things to That's right. to listen to, to watch, to read. So I think for me, one of the things, one one of the reasons why I don't reach the people in Quebec, I think it's just because they understand English and they don't need right. specifically French things. 
or more things that they already have. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Um, yeah, I guess lastly, I have, to, I have to ask you the standard question, even though you are from France and you mostly live in Toronto and now you moved, you moved to Ottawa, but um, do you think an NBA team could ever exist in Montreal? Because they, they, the, they have the game coming here. We saw a couple years ago the Raptors decided to hold training camp in Quebec City, which was very fun. Uh, they, they mostly used the facilities of the University of Laval. And um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like the Raptors are making a conscious effort to sort of like encourage and develop the fan base here in, in Quebec. And so maybe the Raptors feel the ownership of it. But, you know, if, if in a hypothetical scenario the NBA chooses to expand and a couple more teams are added, do you, do you see some sort of – how do you see an expansion to Montreal going or anything like that? That's a great question. Uh, I know there's a CBL team. I think yeah. it's working pretty well. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chris is always talking about uh, basketball was growing in Montreal, yeah, in, in yeah. Quebec in general. We have Lou Dort, Benedict Matherin, like mm-hmm. this, like, you know, this, there's, a, there's definitely talent here as well. You know? But I don't know if it if it would work well or not because it's like it's like a big market for hockey right and is there enough people interesting in basketball to make it work i don't know actually mm. i'm not familiar enough with uh, with montreal mm. and quebec to to give you a great answer on this but I don't know. What do you think about two teams in Canada? I think so. I've been asked this too, and I I, I love Montreal. I spend like a lot of my time in the summers here. Like I'm obviously here right now. Um, I just think that like for a lot of NBA players, they always complain about like the cultural differences in Toronto. Like they're like customs, or uh, you the, the money is different, or you have to know what a kilometer is, which I feel like is like very. I think for you coming from from Paris, like, or from, not from, from France, uh, from Lyon, but like, you're probably thinking about it like, this is very ridiculous to complain about. Like, you are the person of the world. This is just things you should know. But I think for a lot of players, they're so comfortable and so used to, A, they're from America. They mostly work in America. Their family's in America. Their friends are America. They don't necessarily have to think too much about these other things. So having to deal with these sort of slight differences in a, playing in a, in a different uh, country, is already hard enough. And then I think on top of that, I think there was a story that came out of, like a long time ago writing about Kevin Durant and his sort of like free agency decision back in 2016 when he chose to go to the Warriors. And in that story that Ramona Shelbourne wrote for ESPN, um, she there was a portion where he mentioned, um, or she mentioned that, you know, Kevin came to Montreal to see Drake perform and he stayed here a few days and then he went outside and he's like, whoa, everything is in French. I need to get out more. I didn't, I had no idea, you know, and, and I think that he actually really enjoyed his time in Montreal. Um, but I think for players who are consistently here dealing with the, like the language barrier, I think that for them, they'll probably struggle, even though, as you mentioned, pretty much like I would, what we would think 80% of people in Montreal also speak English. Like it's, it's, it's fairly friendly towards like people, you're not going to like get lost or anything. Mm-hmm. People help you. But, um, I think that part might be a little bit hard for the players to accept, but you never know. I mean, the NBA, if they had their way, like they talk about bigger plans of like expanding to like, could, could a team in London work? Could a team in Paris work? Could a team in Mexico City work? You know, they really want to like make the game global. And I think that the next step of making the game global is like actually having teams in a more global setting. But we'll see. I don't know. Um, I think the NBA would have to expand significantly for that to happen. But you never know. Did they play some? Did they play some games in? 
in, in overseas as well in, in Paris? Yes, right? and there's a game coming next year. And uh, Evan Fournier was pretty upset about it because it won't be the the Orlando Magic. Uh, no, the, the Knicks is oh, not in the Magic yes, anymore. Yeah. But yeah, I don't remember what team are playing in France. But yeah, there's a pre preseason game in Paris next next season. Yeah. In uh, October. Yes, yeah. in October. But there was a there was a, a baseball team in Montreal back in the days. That's right. I wasn't there, so I don't know anything. But was it working, or what was the reason why they moved? Um. Again, I'm also not that yeah. experienced of a baseball fan, so I don't know the history of the Expos either, but I think the ownership saw an opportunity to move the team to a place that they could make more money, mm -hmm. and I think that's what they did. I also think for a period there, there was a time where the Canadian dollar was like much more devalued compared to the States. Maybe that factored in. Like I think at some point it was like 65, 70 cents. So I think they were just like collecting less revenue Um, and I think they probably didn't like that, but I don't know. The, the Expos had a pretty great, um, history. They had a lot of great players, you know, and you still see lots of people, at least in, in Toronto, even rocking Expos gear, which is interesting to me because yeah. there is supposed to be a rivalry between Toronto and Montreal, but the, I don't, honestly, it's kind of silly to me. I just, I like both places, but anyway, Mike, thank you for joining me on the show. I appreciate you making time. And uh, if there's anything else you want to leave off with in terms of plugging your work or anything like that, just let people know like where they can find all of your coverage, and especially for the French-speaking audiences. I know there there's like a there are people who obviously listen to the show in English, but are French-speaking as well. I'm looking for that perspective as well. So please just like share and link all the work that you do. Okay, so you can follow me on Twitter. It's uh, Mike Laviol with only one L Raptors because I didn't have the space to write with two L's, but that's okay. You can search Mike Laviol Raptors. You're going to find me. Find And me. on YouTube too, Mike Laviol, Mike Laviol L'Express. You can look for that. And you can find me on L'Express for the post games. And that's it. That's where, where, I'm, where I post everything. Yeah. So yeah, I'm very active on Twitter. Everything I everything I do is over there. Yeah. I have some breaking news sometimes. I was the first one to have actually oh. uh, to have the, the the coach of the 905. Yeah. I had, I had wow. the information. Yeah, I got it. Oh, And Utah, okay. I was the first one to break Utah in the training camp. Really? That was like crazy on Twitter. How did that I happen? Do, 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 can you tell us like the process, or is, do you have to protect your sources? Or? I just have a source. Oh, okay, uh, okay. The organization yeah. <laughs> can say more, but yeah. And I was very yeah, surprised yeah, yeah. when I broke when I broke out Utah. It's yeah. like my the tweet that I got the more views of all yes. time. He's so popular. Seven hundred thousand, something like this. It was like wow. crazy. Wow. But yeah, sometimes it's not often, but sometimes I have some. Where people are like, who is this? Yeah, Why is he speaking yeah, French? and some people like they insult me. They say, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> you're like, what? Well, I'm just passing along news. This is my yeah, job. Yeah, that's just so. there for the... Yeah, and they will right. say, what the source? But I won't okay, tell wait, you my source. My source, like. And on, I remember man. once, like Blake, Blake yeah. told me, uh, people are crazy. They want to have your source. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Well. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, Mike. Seriously, thank you for your time. And uh, yeah, for listeners. We'll have another episode coming out on Friday. You know, it's the usual shenanigans with Alex. Uh, we will talk about basketball probably 10% of the time. So if you're interested, check out the show on Friday. But otherwise, um, I'll try to come back with something for next Monday. So thank you.